Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. Uh, four Sundays after Epiphany, here we go, here we go. Let's pray and then we'll kind of, we got so much, so much to do here. The creation waits with eager longing for the reveal of the sons of God. So, you know, uh, someday, somehow it'll all come. But till then, Almighty God, who set your Son over the works of your hands, so even the winds and the sea obey him, so that even demons flee and diseases are healed, we pray, exercise your power in this place, that your kingdom may grow and increase, and all creation someday be delivered into the glorious liberty of your children. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so much to do. I think it's very interesting that the fasting week comes up for the first time ever. We have food in here. So, uh, you know, you just, you can't make that up. Here's the attendance sheet. Make sure to send that around. Keep thinking things. Hit the baskets, if you will. If you don't, if everybody doesn't have a basket, pass a basket somewhere. Men's retreat, uh, the sign-up sheet is where? You could tell that men are in charge of it because it's had a cup of coffee spilled on it already, and it's completely illegible now. So, yeah, you leave the men in charge, that's what happens. Speaking of which, I was in Wyoming last week to, you know, Mike, th- well, first, thanks for letting me do those kinds of things. Second, my wife, you know, didn't even ask me what I was doing until I got back. I'm like, she said, Where, what did you do? And I'm like, I said, I gave two lectures on marriage, to which, of course, she, you know, only the slight eye roll, not all the way to Michelle Obama. I said, hey, this is easy. I've been lecturing you on marriage for 30 years. I mean, I just pull it. It's like a greatest hits when I go. It's no, it's, I got this speech all lined out. It's, you know. So anyway, thanks for that. Um, the Russians need money. They're going to need about $24,000. You saw the damaged car. We've bought them a car in the past. Um, they need about $15,000 for a car, about $9,000 for summer camp. Now, the upside on the Russians is... Usually they ask us in May for the big, you know, for June 1st. We've trained them now to at least ask us a little bit earlier, and they do ask us, so that's good. And finally, the men's retreat. So we changed it this year. Um, you know, you would work late. Men would work late on Friday and then have two hours to drive. So we didn't know whether we could pull folks in or not if we moved it closer. It's basically the embassy suites kind of just beyond the Home Depot on Butterfield. It's around 50 bucks if you want to stay overnight and share a room with somebody. Uh, but here's the deal. You don't have to stay overnight. And if you don't stay overnight, it's free. So you can come Friday night or you can come uh, Saturday morning and, you know, it's just free. It's a great opportunity to bring a friend if you have friends who are interested in the church or somebody who needs a little push. Dr. Just will be very interesting, I'm sure. Um, the benefit to staying overnight besides that, you know, you're not driving and you're staying is... There'll be a couple of hours of drinks and hors d'oeuvres. Now, Martha, when she called him, she said, so she said, there'll be two hours of drinks and hors d'oeuvres. So she, Martha said, pure-heartedly, so you think, like, you figure, like, one drink or two? The woman said, oh, no, we figure eight drinks apiece. <laughs> Mike, holy cow. <laughs> Apparently owned by Lutherans. So, um, you know, the bonus prize is if you stay overnight, you get, you know, free hors d'oeuvres and stuff like that. But we'll order pizza and beer. We'll have dinner uh, you know, it's 7.30. We'll start about 7.30. But anyway, it's a great chance to sign up. It's a cha- great chance to goof off. You can come Friday and not come Saturday. You can come Saturday and not come Friday. You don't even really have to tell us. We'll adjust. But we want to make sure we size the room properly and have things ready. So if you could be doing that, where is that list with the coffee on it? Somewhere? boy, James. James Dunker's your guy. You'll help him, won't you? Sure. You're a nice man. Thank you very much for that. All right. Life's good. All right, anything else? That's a list, too. Oh, because 
There's a, at the end of June, there is a choir coming from St. Louis. So they call us and they say, hey, we love your space. We love you. Could we come and sing here? This will be great. And then we say, like, how many people do they have? They, I don't know. We got seven or eight people. Can we have housing? We're like, sure you can. Then you know what? We have to find housing. So, uh, end of February. What did I say? Oh, end of February. Sorry. Hey, I just got called for jury duty, so I need to talk to you about what I should say, okay? The only thing I remember from my high school government class is my teacher telling me, who uh, was saying, if you don't want to be on jury duty, just point right at the guy. He says, I, I can tell by looking at him, he's guilty. And then you get, a, I don't know, maybe you go to jail for contempt if you do that. I'm not sure, but. I thought about it. I'm, t- I'm having an existential crisis about whether I should wear a collar or not. I don't know. Which is more truthful, wearing it or not wearing it? Wear the collar. You think that's a that's sure selection or not selection? What do you think? Dismissed? <laughs> because everybody dismisses a guy in a collar, or you think this is situationally specific? That will I will I could say that. You know, once one of my earliest mistakes in Wheaton, sort of setting the train for many more mistakes, is I was you know the Wheaton City Council still opens with prayer. And they send a note around all the pastors, and they say, would you like to come and pray? So, you know, I'm the new guy. So here was my mistake. I actually thought they wanted me to pray. <laughs> so I went there, and I said a few words about the little baby Jesus, and I said, you know, render unto Caesar, and this is what it means, and we still love you, and we don't always have to obey you, but we will listen to you, and we'll pray. And they're all looking at me like, can you hurry up and pray? We've got to move on here. This is it. So, you know, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know. So there's just a lot to learn. They asked me to come back. I haven't been back. I send the vicars now. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. It's, the vicars are nice, and everybody should experience it once. Um, sign up for the men's retreat. Give some money in the basket for the Russians. Sign up to keep some kids, because we've only got about three people signed up, and there's a thousand of them. How many kids are there? Sixty-four. 64. For goodness sakes, uh, chain them to the radiator. Do whatever it is you did with your own kids. What what, they're high school kids. Yeah, they, they can't be trusted. Are you good to go? Everybody got a sheet? Thanks to the vicar for filling in for me. That was a nice thing. Here's the thing about being Lutheran. Uh, Lutherans have such, they have this, such this great tradition. We have this great tradition. We have this great, great, all these things happen, and, and we claim them. You know, Lutherans always said, the Reformation... When the, when, when the Reformation happened, the Lutherans looked back and said, we're the straight line. It goes Jesus, the apostles, the church, and us. So I don't know if you've ever noticed, but in the margin comments, when we execute the way we want, there's always something from Jesus, the early church, the medieval church, the Reformation church, the modern church, and us. So the reason those things are aligned, and I think today we, did, we pretty much did that. We had something from the Desert Fathers, something from Aquinas. You have something from 300, Aquinas, 1200 something from Luther, 1500, and something from the modern church. The reason it's aligned that way, the subtle message we're trying to send to you is what the Lutherans always said, which is the church Catholic has taken a wrong turn. We're in the straight line. We're in the straight line that goes all the way back. The trouble with that is, is, you know, it's not always so easy to run a church, and things got mixed up, uh, you know, over the course of the next hundred years, and sometimes we looked a little more like something else than like Lutheran. So, for example, yesterday in new members class, we did 
I don't know if you know this, but the prayer, there, every pastor, so for example, we had Fred Gady's ordination. There's a list of rubrics. They're not suggestions. It's stronger than suggestions. This is what a pastor does at an ordination. There are 15 or 20 things that come in the book, the altar book, and it says, do this, do this, do this, do this. Well, it's interesting. If you go back and read the first hundred years of Lutheran rubrics in the prayer book, so this is like what the publishing house put out for all the pastors to do. You might be surprised to know that it says commune kids at six, seven, and eight years old. Now, everybody, when we did that, everybody thought, you know, you're crazy. And, of course, there's always the proverbial, you're not Lutheran. The problem is, is you can, there's nothing more sure than a catechism and a hymnal. So Luther, when he did the catechism, he preached it through three years in a row before it was published to make sure all the kinks were out of it. Part of the problem with Lutherans is we've forgotten what it is to be Lutheran. So, you know, the Lutheran church always and forever um, commune kids at six, seven, and eight years old. It's only when believing became not a matter of the heart, trusting in God, which is what Luther taught, and in the Enlightenment, where everything was about thinking, it became a matter of thinking about God. You've got you to gotta be older to think more heavily, so then suddenly in 100 years or 150 years, suddenly everybody's 15 or 16. And it was, it was Lutheranism had lost their roots. So many other things are in the same way too. Vestments. Did you notice, even today, I quoted from the Augsburg Confession in the margin come, it says, the Mass. Da, 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 da. The Lutheran term for the Holy Supper was the Mass. That isn't somebody else's term. That's our term. There's a whole article on the Mass. Yes, please. Uh, if I, my memory serves, you made a reference in the ordination to the Pope. We might have. <laughs> and your point is? My point whoop, is chums in the water. Big fish. Whoop, big fish. Well, in the Augsburg Confession, it says, we don't care if we have a pope or not. In fact, it's probably better if we have a pope because in any organization, it's good to have clear lines of authority. You can all read that for yourself. That's in our confessions. What we don't want, basically the confession says, we don't want the pope to get in the way of Jesus. Fair enough. You know, that's, that's, the argument is not about having a pope per se. And the whole notion that Luther... Um, was a guy who destroyed authority and set every man free to do what he wants in his right eyes, as, in his own eyes, is just ridiculous. A reformation was a tweak, not a revolution, right? They simply said, these things are out of balance, put them back in balance. What happened then is the Reformed churches, the Calvinistic churches, the Zwinglian churches, the Evangelical churches, the kind of church you have in Wheaton, basically said, we're not reforming, we're starting over. And Lutherans have kind of followed, you know, after, you know, they've sold their birthright for a, for a bunch of forage, you know. It's not, that's not us. The problem is, especially if you live in Wheaton, where this is emphasized, where, where that's the culture, Lutherans forget who they are, and suddenly you think, that's who we are. That's never been us. And you can tell just by reading the confessions. So, for example, it says, pretty good to have a pope, and we'd love to have a pope, no problem having a pope, unless the pope turns into an idiot which, in fact, is what happened during the 1600s, right? So it wasn't about the Pope. It was about being an idiot. Don't be idiots, okay? <laughs> the same is true for the Mass. That's how it talks. Um, the same is true for the liturgy, all this kind of stuff. Well, uh, you may be surprised to know um, the same is true for fasting. And I have to tell you, I heard not word one and was not taught one thing about fasting, not only in my entire life in the Lutheran Church, but... 
also in seminary, and yet, if I asked you, tell me some fasting stories. Do you know any? From the scriptures, tell me some fasting stories, Bible stories, Sunday school stories. Go ahead. The temptation of Christ, 40 days, 40 nights. What else? Go ahead. Yes, right, the whole Esther story, when they're going to kill all the Jews, they're fasting. What else? What are the big fast? Huh? Daniel fasts, yeah, and the lion's den. What else? And also, interesting, Daniel. And, 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 the two guys. and the three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> the three guys, that's not, that's all fair. What else? Where else? Where else? The disciples who had problems casting out demons, and we're going to have to talk about that because um, we'll have to see whether if you fast, you'll get your way for Easter. We'll see what happens. What else? Anybody else? Either Elijah or Elisha, or Elisha did 40 days on some food. Exactly right. And that way he said, kill me, and then the Lord didn't kill him. He fasted, and then the Lord took him to heaven instead. Interesting little twist. Back there? Absolutely right. Good. Okay, so the Israelites, whenever, especially when they'd come into sin. How about Nineveh? Jonah, the Jonah story. It says even the cows fasted. Even the livestock fasted. The whole nation, including the livestock. Isn't that interesting? Right? So here's the thing. It's everywhere in Scripture, and now you might be surprised to know. Look at the bottom of the front page. It's everywhere in Lutheranism, except Lutherans forgot about it. The way they forgot about the Pope, the way they forgot about the Mass, the way they forgot about incense, the way they forgot about vestments, the way they forgot about communing little kids, the way they forgot about so many things. So, um, you know, here it is at the bottom of the page. Our teachers also teach that everybody is under obligation to conduct himself with reference to such bodily exercises, fasting, and other disciplines. So the presumption is, this is Article 26 of the Augsburg Confession, the the presumption is that people are doing it, just not doing it right. Like not getting your incense right, not getting your vestments right, not getting your communion right, not getting your pope right, not getting your forgiveness right. The presumption is that everybody's doing it, but we've got to get a wrench on it. Because people do not know, they're not doing it right, or they're doing it for the wrong reasons, or they don't understand it. Okay, Our teachers teach everybody's under, under obligation to conduct himself in this way, so that he does not give occasion to sin, so you don't fall off the road one way, but not as if he earned grace by such works, you fall off the road the other way. So the whole point of this is you, you do it in a way, um, Luther... The Lutherans presumed that you would fast. They just presumed that you would fast. Karen, it's been a remarkable time since you said anything to me. Uh, what is it this morning? And I noticed on my caller ID you called me this week and didn't leave a message. No, I never leave messages. Well, next week I'll try to be back. So. In a minute. Yes, yes, but that's not surprising, Karen. You're normally ahead of me. I love you. Here we go, first page. Moses, Elijah, David, Daniel, Jesus, Paul, all fasted. I'll, I'll give you those. This is right the very first slide. They all fasted, and Jesus presumes that all of you are going to fast too. Turn your Bible to Mark 2.20. Jesus thinks you're fasting for Lent. I just was, I, you know, I don't know what you're thinking about, but that's what Jesus is thinking. Okay. All right, here we go. Mark 2, 18. I tried to give you the simplest, shortest passage I could. 
Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So here's the thing. John the baptizer fasted, and anybody who followed John the baptizer fasted. We have to talk about what that means, but they fasted. The Pharisees fasted too, okay? So it's not just bad guys and good guys. Everybody's doing this. And people came and said to Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? See? Now you could, this is the way that Luther got, got, got wrong too. People saw him, they saw freedom as license. So what, you don't keep the rules? You know, what's going on here? You tell the people they can do whatever they want. You tell people they don't have to pray, they don't have to fast, they're all in charge. What's going on? That's basically it. We have an order to life. And here's the thing, this is partly, you know, the title of this is Orbiting Christ. This is just what Christians do. We're doing a bunch of things that give order to life. Order is the opposite of chaos. Good is the opposite of evil. Chaos is evil. Order is good. Okay? So they come to Jesus. They're saying, what's the order of life? And all the things that we're doing, all the things we're talking about, meditation, contemplation, fasting, periods of silence. Later we'll talk about liturgical calendars. Um, ordering time and ordering space. Order is good. So they come to Jesus and they say, we've got this thing running, and everybody's playing along except for you. Why aren't you playing along? And of course you know in the back of your head, because Jesus brings a new order, a new covenant, okay? Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? So you pause for a second and you think about this now. Paul's going to spin this out later. Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. So Jesus is saying, this it's it's a it's a wedding celebration. This isn't a time to fast. This isn't a this is a time to feast. I'm the Messiah. I'm here with my church. I'm gathering my people. It's time to celebrate. See? Now, that completely fits in with order. It's very important to understand that you have periods of normal life and you have periods of great celebration. So what's normal life in the church? How do we normally... How do you... When you come to church, when you look around, how do you know it's normal life? It's green. Genius. Yeah, green is the color of common time, of normal life. When you come in and whenever it's green, that means this is the baseline for what we do. So you ask yourself things like, so at the ordination on Friday, we had a gospel procession and we incensed the book and we kissed it and we blessed you with it. Why? Because that's a, that's a feast day. It's a celebration. We thought Fred Gady was smarter than this. It turns out he's not. And so we have to, you know... Here's a guy who can work with his hands, and what does he do? Becomes a pastor. What's the matter with this? So, I mean, so it's a feast. Fred's going, he's being put into the ministry. We love the guy. So we change the color red, and we do a little extra. It's no different than you'll go home and have lunch today, you know, but then your pals are coming over for the Super Bowl. It's going to be a feast. You know, your caloric intake is going to go through the roof, right? Do you know what six bottles of beer and 19 wings can do to your heart? (laughs) Think about it, you know. So... But you can't tell the difference unless you have some common time, some ordinary time, some, uh, some, some normal times. That, those are the green days, and then you have a feast day. So Jesus simply says to him, hey, 
You're all wearing green, but we're wearing white, highest days. We're wearing red, bigger, just slightly less, you know. It's time to pull out the party, okay? So, this is a feast, because I'm the groom, and I'm taking the church as my wife, as my own body, to become one. All those things that Paul explains later, okay? Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Good rabbi, he answers a question with a question. Why does the rabbi answer a question with a question? Is it wrong for the rabbi to answer a question with a question? <laughs> Mr. Wente. Right. Uh, yes, he does. He does, but not with his disciples. Or there are times when he does. So we'll go to that, come back to that. There are going to be times when he does fast. Because sometimes, well, can you hold on to that and ask again in an, in an hour or next week? Because it is, it is in fact true that Jesus does fast. So the entire time that Jesus is with them is not a feast. For example, the temptation or hanging on the cross. Those are not feast times. So Jesus has in his own life. But the point is, it's not always a fast, and he doesn't observe their fast necessarily. Yes, please. Right, when you fast. Da, 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 da. And of course, that's the great proof text for Lutherans. When you fast, don't let anybody know. So what do we do? We make sure that nobody will know because we never do it. <laughs> It's a little like giving where he says, you know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Yeah, you know what? Your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. And guess what? Your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing because your right hand's not doing anything either, right? So we, all these things that Jesus talks about, we, and this is the anti-interpretation of Lutherism, we sweep them away under, I'm an individual and I'm free under the gospel. That has never been true. It wasn't true if you're part of Israel. It's not true if you're part of the church. It's just not true. I mean, people who say that are just lazy and blocking. It's just not true. And, and even Luther talks all about how you pummel your body. I can give you, you know, if you just read our confessions, it's all over the place where he talks about disciplining your body and disciplining your mind and how you do that. This is what Christians do. We don't do some things. We do do other things. And we do them in order because it's good for you. It's good for you, you know. Deep down someplace, you have this sense that fasting is good for you. You know why? Because Elijah and Paul and Jesus and Daniel and David and all the rest of them, Moses, all do it. And Jesus does too. But because, like so many other things, we've been put off it because of misuse. And there's the great Latin phrase, in English it translates to, misuse doesn't constitute disuse. Just because somebody else crashes a car doesn't mean you're not all going to stop driving. You're not, Right? So misuse isn't disuse, okay? And Jesus expects people are going to fast. Watch this. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast, okay? The days will come, okay? So there's going to be another day, someday in the future. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. There will be a day in the future, you know, next month, February 13th, Ash Wednesday, there will be a day in the future, and then they will fast in that day. Okay, So Jesus just presumes the church is going to have periods of feasting, and the church is going to have periods of fa- fasting. Now, if I ask you what's the normal time when people fast, how many days are... Or, 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 or if I say what's the normal time when people fast, you would say Lent. Lent. And if I said to you how many days are in Lent, you would say... 
But of course, that's not right, is it? How many days are really in Lent? It's not quite 50. 46. Why is it 46 and not 40? Yes, because you, you never count a Sunday as a fast day because every Sunday is a little resurrection. Every Sunday is a Eucharist day. So you fast 40 days in Lent because a lot, the, Jesus fasted 40 days, Elijah fasted 40 days. 40 is this, that's the big time holy number. But in Lent, that's why we start on a Wednesday so that, the, so that you have it's 40 days from the Wednesday. The Sundays don't count. The Sundays don't count. Because they're always a resurrection day. Um, now later, to follow up on Mr. Wente's question, you'll be asking why you fast while the church practice has been to fast before you come to the Eucharist in the morning. Um, so we'll talk about that too. How, so we have to get these things to fit together in the gospel way, not the law. Anyway, Jesus presumes you're all going to fast. He also presumes you're going to feast. That's just what it is to be Christian. And Lutherans have always said, we're Christian. That's us. This is what we do. And the proof is in the confessions. It's all over the place. Okay, and then you get this very cryptic stuff. No one sees, so, sorry, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Okay, so you have new things and you have old things, and they don't always fit together. In fact, sometimes they can't be reconciled. Sometimes the new things simply fulfill and replace the old things. Think the Eucharist fulfills and replaces the Passover. Jesus fulfills and replaces Moses. Jesus fulfills and replaces Elijah. That's why next week on Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah show up. They both qualified for Medicare, and and they they say, great job, glad you're working. We're too old for this. That's what happens. It's in the ancient text. So... (laughs) No one puts new wine in old wineskins. Jesus basically says to the Pharisees, they're saying, why don't you fast? He's like, because things are different now. It's not that it's going to disorder. It's going to new order. The order is fulfillment and blessing. Okay. No one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. I'm too big for your fasts. you know. And the wine is lost, and so are the skins. New, new skins for new wine. Okay, that's simple. Got it? So I just want to put that out there as your starting point. Jesus expects that you're going to fast. Okay? It's just, it's just as simple as that. Luther expected you were going to fast. Jesus fasted. Luther fasted. You'd have to have a really good reason to say, I'm not going to fast. Just like you'd have to, you know, you'd have to have a really good reason to say, I'm not going to give. Jesus gave. Luther gave. You'd just have to have a really... You can hardly imagine a reason. It puts you outside the body. You, you don't really understand what it is to be um, part of the church if you don't fast. It's really that strong. Well, we can't wait until after the Super Bowl, right? I would suggest to you that you wait till after the Super Bowl. The Lord doesn't like to build up things that, are, that would break you. Too big for you, right? Okay. Uh, well, that would, and that'll be a question, too. What you're going to do with your Sundays. Let me take you to point number two, which will keep everything clean. Fasting is a gift and a blessing. Okay, So fasting is something that God gives to you, not to curse you, but to bless you. This is an extraordinarily important thing. Sometimes we grow up with this notion that God's interest is to break us, to curse us. And unless we do some good things, he'll really break us and really curse us. That is what the Reformation was against. That somehow we would make the first move and please God and make him love us. That is just... It's easy to get it upside down, but it's completely upside down. 
The Lord gives a fast to his people for their good. The very first fast, like the very first liturgy, like the very first vestments, like the very first calendar, like the very first recipe for incense, those are all given as gifts to the church by the Lord in the Old Testament. It's the Lord who thought up vestments. It's the Lord who thought up incense. It's the Lord who thought up bells. All of that stuff is in the Old Testament. Just read the first five books. It's all there prescribed. The calendar, you're going to have 13 months and you're going to follow the moon. Not like the Romans who have 12 months and follow the sun. You're a different kind of people. You're 13 months by the moon, not 12 months by the sun. Right? Okay. You're a different kind of people. This was God's idea, and it was God's gift for our good. You know, tithing is for your good. Giving alms is for your good. It's, of course, for the good of God. It's for the good of your neighbor, but it's also for the good of you. So you remember that you're not the one in charge. You never make the first move. You never make the first move. If you can remind yourself of one thing, you never make the first move. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. While we still hated God, God made the first move and died for us. That's the Reformation. That's the church. That's Israel. That's the Old Testament. Okay? So all these things that were given, we receive with open hands. That's the reason we pray like this. Our hands are open and we ask God to fill them. One of the things he fills them with just is fasting. By the way, I just want to say again, it's a rather startling thing to have this group give $190,000 in one month. Um, which is what the collections were in December. I mean, that is off the charts, unbelievable. I don't know if you know, I think I told you, but when John Kerr went to the bank, we're trying to you know, get our interest rate down, refinance, we have all this stuff going on. Um, the guy said, you know, you, know you, need to, you need to bump and nudge your books a little bit, but he said, per capita, you're the highest giving church we've ever, we've ever engaged. That's a remarkable thing for the banker to say to us. Per capita, per person, your congregation gives more than any other church we've ever talked to. That's quite a remarkable thing. So here's what I want to say to you. Congratulations, and then keep going. So, like, don't pick up your fasting and stop your giving. I'm, I'm being dead serious. It's not like you trade one for another. It's like, keep going, because that's how life is ordered. Come to church every week. That's how life is ordered. Keep giving. That's how life is ordered. And I'm going to encourage you, at least for a season, to try to fast. Yes, Mary Ann. Yeah, right. It's not, a, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not like you stop one thing and then you do the other. It's like Jesus gives you a gift, and then he gives you another gift, and he gives you another gift, and it turns you into a different kind of person. There was that very cryptic thing from the Desert Fathers, um, from the father who said in the margin comments for today, that said something like, be joyful and be giving and you'll get eternal life. That little, just that little margin comment. It's a remarkable thing to be able to say if you're living out in the middle of the desert. It's an amazing thing. So I just want to say thank you for that. Let you know that other people notice that. Encourage you to keep going. You know. Um, encourage you to keep going. And then you know, a little bit more as you're able I should pause and say, you know, in the way that we've talked about prayer in the past and will again, you'll fail, and I'll fail at this. Accept your failures as the chances to grow. Here's the thing. If we, your failures don't curse you, you just, it's like skipping a workout. You just don't grow as fast as you might. And the Lord knows that you need periods of sort of hardcore work, and then you need periods of rest. The feasting times are periods of rest. We're going to see that. 
that feasting and rest often go together. But I, I just want to encourage you. We're trying to order your life. This is just what Christians do. This is just what Christians do. Christians do this. They've always done this. Jesus did it. The disciples did it. The fathers did it. The Lutherans did it. Somehow in our age it got lost. Okay, big deal. Let's be grown-ups and recover these things that help us out. These are very, very good things for us. I mean, it's everywhere in Scripture and in our confessions. But you have to start. You will never get it right. You will never get anything right if you don't understand that God makes the first move so that this thing, fasting, is a gift and a blessing. It is not a curse and a burden. It can be painful sometimes, but in all areas of your life, sometimes a little pain is good for you. Pain is a great teacher. Pain sometimes indicates that you've taken control of your life. You know, sometimes pain is good for you. Not that you seek pain, but it can, it's not necessarily a negative indicator. If you feel pain, it doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong. Sometimes it means you're right. You have to get above the pain and think about what it means, okay? So you will fail at this if you give it a try. We know what we do when we fail. We know what we do. We confess. Um, we are forgiven, and we pick up, and we carry on. Faith is a, I'm sorry, fasting is a gift and a blessing. It cannot be a deal. It cannot be a trade. It is instead a divine gift. Now, this is going to cause us a little bit of static in a moment. The one, the one, one of the more popular places where you read about it is the disciples are trying all day long to cast this demon out, right? They come to Jesus and say, we're no good at this, Right? Especially with Jesus today in the gospel where he doesn't even say anything. He just walks in the room. He doesn't even do anything. He just walks in the room and the demons start to talk. We know who you are. Leave us alone. Are you here to destroy us? And the disciples are the opposite. They're doing whatever they're doing and they can't get it done. And then Jesus sort of says, yes, sometimes it's prayer and fasting, which can sound to us like, um, hey, we've got to do a lot of things to make God respond. Fasting is not a way that you manipulate God or make him do what you want. We need to talk about that. You still good? This is only the first page. Yes, David? Would it be fair to say then that the place of fasting is that it's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to be in control of our bodies rather than the bodies being in control of the Spirit? Good job. Turn your page and wait three bullet points. I have a friend who went to MIT, and the la- in the physics class at MIT, the last question on the final exam was always the first question of the next, uh, was the, always the first question of the next term, and that's how they sorted out the really bright boys if they could figure out what the next thing would be, you see. Don't go to MIT. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> There's probably, I don't, do we have an MIT grad in here? We've got some kids applying to MIT. We've got some smart kids in this congregation. We've got some kids applying to MIT this year, but... All right, look at this from a Catholic. The tendency is to think that this is why, I'm just going gonna, gonna to be real honest with you, this is why we have a little more affinity in this age for Catholics than, than we've had in the past. Because if this doesn't sound like a Lutheran wrote this, why was there a Reformation? I mean, listen to this. This is written by Father Thomas Ryan. The Sacred Art of Fasting is a popular book on fasting. The tendency is to think that God will love us if we change. So we do a good work. And then God will love us. That's how we've always, that's, that's our caricature of Catholics. And frankly, there are still Catholics who talk that way. There are a lot of Catholics who don't talk that way, including the Pope, the present Pope, and the last Pope too. Sometimes we'd have to talk about that. It's a long conversation. Because it still kind of you know, burns me that they inter- reintroduced um, 
indulgences for the millennium and other things, but aside from that, okay? (laughs) The tendency is to think that God will love us if we change. So we change, then God will love us. But God loves us so that we can change. See that? God gives the gift. He gives the gift of divine love. Divine love comes with the energy of the Holy Spirit, and then we can change. Penitential practices, like fasting, penitential practices and disciplines enable us to appropriate and make real in our lives the freedom given through grace. That's the pure Lutheran line. God loves me. God sets me free. And in grace, I live a new kind of life, which may include penitential or disciplinary practices like fasting. That's just straight Lutheran stuff. Congratulations, the Reformation is over. They've come around to us. They've come home. We just got to get a cable off to the Vatican later today. Okay? I hope they're not listening. I didn't, I didn't mean it. So every once in a while people say things. That, or look at the next guy. This is a very famous um, Adalbert de Vogue. This is a famous, I think this is medieval, but I've I got to check the date on this. Fasting was no longer a constraint and a penance for me. So you'd go to, you'd go to, um, you know, you'd go to confession and the priest would say, you know, a hundred Hail Marys and um, no meat for a month or, you know, don't eat for a week. It was no longer a constraint or penance for me, but a joy. And get this, a need of body and soul. So now here's the thing. You don't rebel against this when I say to you, we need a liturgical calendar. You don't, get, you don't rebel when I say, we need ordinary time so that when we come to Christmas and Epiphany and Transfiguration and Palm Sunday and Easter, that we recognize those things. You don't rebel when it's in time. It's really interesting. But we do rebel just a little bit, I think, when it talks about our physical things, that we wouldn't, you know, that we would give up something physical. So we've got to kind of think about that in ourselves. What does that mean? A joy and a need. I actually need to fast occasionally in the same way that I need common time. I need the green time, so when the white stuff comes out, I go, whoa, biggest day of the church. It's a white day. It must be a really big deal, right? I practice it spontaneously because I loved it, okay? So um, what do we know about fasting? Now to Dave Crawford, point three. Fasting engages the whole person. I want to encourage you to be a Hebrew and not a Greek. The Hebrews considered you as one lump. The Hebrews, yeah, I really thought I was going to get all this done. I really did. The Hebrews considered you as one lump. It's the Greeks who split you up body and soul. So there you have a body, and that's not very good, and the soul or spirit is a lot better. That's all Plato and um, Neoplatonic stuff. The Hebrews held you together as one person. So you were just held together. And if I went around the table, they might say, what do you make of Callagher? He's body and soul. He's body, soul, and mind. He's body, soul, and mind, and spirit. And you see Jesus talking the same way. They don't really care about that so much. You know, they don't care if you define you in two parts or three points and four, four, four parts. They're not worried about that because the big thing for a Hebrew, for a Jew, is that you're one lump and everything plays together. You're most at peace when you're most ordered, when your mind matches your heart, matches your soul, matches your spirit. When everything matches, when you're well-ordered, completely through and through, that's when everything is working for you, Okay. So, faith 
engages the whole person. It activates you body and soul, or body and soul and spirit, or body, mind, soul and spirit, or however many parts you think you have. It engages everything we've got. I'm going to stop, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Read the rest of this for next week. I actually want to, I'm going to just jump ahead just a little bit. I want you to note the difference between fasting and abstinence. I've written a little thing out for you. Fasting actually means stopping everything. Abstinence means I'm giving up chocolate. So you, to abstain from one thing is kind of different. Now, they can work together, but just note that. And already, we only have one Sunday left before Ash Wednesday. I just want you to think about what fasting might look like in your own life um, and just sort of puzzle around about that, knowing that fasting technically often means not giving up chocolate for 40 days, but giving up food, for example, for 12 hours or 24 hours. Okay? So it has a different sense. It's not even the same as giving up meat on Friday. That's, you know, we use that loosely and call that a fast. That's actually an abstinence. Um, so we'll talk about the difference. I just want you to consider. I'm not putting it to you by force. I just wanted you to consider whether or not this might be a good thing for you and it might prompt you toward a little more discipline in body and soul and um, a little more rejoicing when Easter finally comes around. I just... I just you know, just consider the possibility. And we'll come back to these things. You can read about the Day of Atonement if you like, uh, but I also am going to come back and talk to you about how sometimes fasting is joyous. In the Day of Atonement, it's not a happy day, but uh, when Jesus is there, there's something going on that's really cool. So have a look at that, but in the way of the gospel. The question is, Jesus wants to bless you with this. How can it help you? Okay, and unless you think you're untweakable or unchangeable or have no need, this might be a way. And Lent is the traditional time to spend little time doing it. So uh, I'll see you next week. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.